Hello podcast listeners and welcome to another episode of What's the Matter, a podcast about all things neuroscience. I'm your host, Regang Shale. Today's episode is all about seizures. So let's get started. its own kind of uh, normal circuitry. Different cells in the brain um, communicate with each other through uh, various electrical signals. And, you know, sometimes uh, for a variety of reasons, uh, some known, some unknown, that circuitry can uh, kind of mess up. And that's what causes seizures. Uh, my name's uh, Lee Heather. I'm a medical student at Texas A&M, currently spending uh, research here at the University of Toronto, specifically the Hospital for Sick Children, working with a very uh, well-known pediatric neurosurgeon, Dr. James Rutko. I'm uh, working on a variety of uh, cutting-edge research on uh, brain tumors and uh, epilepsy. There's these uh, little areas in the brain, they're called uh, epileptogenic fossa, focused areas in the brain where the seizure source kind of originates from. And those typically are what causes the seizures. A seizure is a symptom, not a disease itself. It's a medical condition where too many neurons get excited. The brain is an electrochemical machine. Neurons are cells of the brain. They talk to each other with the help of electrical signals. Nerve cells use chemical reactions to generate electricity, just like a battery. When a neuron turns on, it passes its electrical signals along its wire, or axon. When too many neurons get excited, all at once, that's a seizure. So is it fair to say like it's a, it's an electric storm within the brain that happens and sometimes it just goes out of control and... Uh, I, th- I think that would be a reasonable way to describe it. You know, it's a, it's a storm that comes and goes. During the storm, your brain can't do its normal work. People experience sudden changes in movement, sensation, awareness, and behaviors. These seizures can go on for seconds to minutes. After a seizure, though, a person can regain normal function. So you won't be sitting there and asking yourself, hey, what's the difference between a seizure and an epilepsy? Well, people who have two or more spontaneous seizures are pretty much diagnosed with epilepsy. So epilepsy is a brain disorder. A brain disorder with uncontrolled brain electrical activity. Could you tell us what kind of uh, diagnostic tools neurologists usually use uh, to diagnose somebody with epilepsy? Epilepsy uh, is a pretty complex uh, disease to diagnose and then even more complex to treat. And so typically, uh, when one is suspected of having uh, epilepsy, it's a team-based approach. It's a very collaborative approach. You have not only the neurologist, there's um, typically also um, neurosurgery can get involved. You also have uh, physicists involved in terms of the actual imaging that's done. And so, you know, going on to the specific tests, a variety of things can be used. Uh, Something called uh, an MRI, magnetic resonance imaging. Uh, you can do uh, CAT scans or CT scans. You can do uh, EEG, uh, electroencephalographic uh, testing. You know, and then it can get more and more 
complex. There's uh, things that the general public generally doesn't see until uh, you know until you have kind of rule out things through the first couple texts uh, tests. You know the list goes on and on, but there's a number of modalities being developed also. And how do how do tumors uh, fit into this equation? Yeah, that's that's another very uh, interesting point. Uh, brain tumors and um, epilepsy kind of go hand in hand because brain tumors can cause epilepsy. They can cause seizures. Uh, brain tumors, by their size and and their location, cause uh, through you know what's called mass effect, cause the different cells in the brain like adjacent to them um, to have their circuitry you know become abnormal. And then all of a sudden, that can lead to seizures. The sight of a person having a seizure is anything but pleasant. If they're suffering a tonic-clonic seizure, then you'll witness something like their entire body contorting in odd shapes. Their extremities will be jerking in and out of their body core. It'll be like watching someone get uh, electrocuted. But as horrible as the outwardly uh, appearance looks to a bystander, the patient themselves uh, aren't really experiencing that much pain. Most of the time they have no recollection of having a seizure at all. They might have some muscle pain um, when they uh, come to, but often they have no memory of the episode. Inside the mine, the weather is uh, quite beautiful. It's at this moment when most people having a, a temporal lobe seizure have that profound ethereal experience. Some would say that uh, they had a prophetic experience with the uh, Almighty. Others say that they had a eureka moment, having understood the meaning of life. Some feel a sense of complete bliss, nirvana or moksha, and feel connected with everything and everyone around them. most striking aspect of these people is not only during the seizures but interictally when they're not having seizures they have extraordinarily they have tremendous religious experiences and mystical experiences they say things like during the seizure I experience God I see the meaning of the universe the true meaning of the universe for the first time in my life that's professor and dr. V.S. Ramachandran He's a professor at uh, the University of uh, California in San Diego and also a world-famous neuroscientist. Sometimes they'll actually say, I'm talking to God or God is talking to me. My attitude was I was God and then I had heaven and hell in my eyes. That was it. You know what I mean? I was the, the grand guy who created heaven and hell. So that there, that's one of uh, Dr. Ramachandran's patients. He's describing what happened to him when his dad picked him up uh, from a camping trip and he had a, a seizure uh, during the car ride. So what unfolds now is him describing all of the post-ictal experiences he had because of his temporal lobe epileptic seizure. 
the other voice you hear is the voice of his father. On the way home, him and I just got into some philosophical, you know, questions about everything. And I just would not shut up once I got on the way home. I was going and going. It was like I was wired. It's basically an earthquake within the body. And like any earthquake, there are aftershocks. Mainly what I deal with is the aftermath, particularly with this last episode. It was very much like stepping into a Salvador Dali painting. Okay, it, instantly everything was surreal. I went running down the street screaming that I was God. And then this guy came out and I was just like pelvic thrust at him and his wife. And I was like, you want an effing bet? I ain't God. And I said, literally, you asshole, get back in here. What do you think you're doing? You know, you're disturbing the neighbors, you're gonna call the cops. I kind of just looked at him cool and calm and apologized to him. And I'm like, no, no one's going to call the police. Like, it, I didn't say this last part, but I'm thinking to myself, no one's going to call the police on God. Uh, yeah, if you were to ask my dad, he would just say, I am completely through the gateway and into another reality 100%. Indeed, a separate physical reality is every bit as real to him. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Although it is absolutely nothing like this reality is to us. I have looked in his eyes in those times and I have seen, seen a cry for help. I've been in so much pain that I'd rather be shot to death, dude, or just whipped to death. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've Somewhere. been in so much joy that I would rather be left alone. Get, get, take everything away and just let me sit there and have that much joy. I feel like I can float and stuff sometimes, you know? It's just, it's like, it's like the best. People, people just go, what are you talking? I've done, I've gone, done all kinds of drugs and things and been with, you know, women. And I just go, you don't understand, man. Now, why does this happen? Well, there's four or five hypotheses. One hypothesis is maybe God is visiting and coming to see them. And you can't discount this on, for any, on, on the basis of any scientific evidence. The second idea is they're just mad. You know, they're just nuts. They're crazy. Something is going on in the temporal lobes. They've become crazy and they believe in God or believe in something. In temporal lobe seizures, a substantial proportion, maybe 30 to 40 percent, have this intense religious fervor and belief in God. Third hypothesis is that maybe there is this cauldron, given that it's limbic system where the seizures originate, and the limbic system is very much involved in emotions, there is this cauldron of emotions, this emotional turmoil in your mind, and then the left hemisphere kicks in. In the left hemisphere, we know from a number of experiments on split brain patients, and indeed on stroke patients, is involved in confabulation. If something doesn't fit, doesn't make any sense, the left hemisphere tries to spin a yarn to try to make things more consistent. So maybe when there is some strange, something bizarre going on in your mind, which is otherwise inexplicable, the left hemisphere starts confabulating and saying, the only way I can make sense of this is there is a visitation from another dimension, i.e. maybe it's God is visiting me. Okay, in other words, God is the ultimate confabulation 
by the left hemisphere. Now, another hypothesis is, and I can't rule that out, that's a possibility. Another hypothesis is kindling. That is, when any one of you look at the world, you look at objects around you, look at people, what happens, the message okay, okay, so this one is a little bit confusing. Uh, let me try to explain it as best as I can. So what he's saying is that whenever we look at an object, we create an emotional response to it. It could be a small emotion or, um, or it could be a big emotion. Everything goes through our visual fields. From the visual centers, we create a neuronal connection with uh, the amygdala. What's the amygdala? Well, the amygdala is pretty much responsible for creating all of our emotions. When we look at an object, we have a respective flight or fight response or a sympathetic response. Heart starts beating faster. Our palms are sweaty, knees weak, arms heavy. There's vomit on my sweater already. Mom's spaghetti. Okay, okay, let's get back now. So Kindling says that people who have seizures are prone to more seizures. So over time, seizures intensify with electrical activity in the brain. Maybe in the beginning it was a small area, but uh, later on it's easily going to be all over the brain. So those connections with the amygdala, uh, they get enhanced. When the person now has another seizure, all of those emotional connections you made light up like uh, uncontrolled fireworks. Kind of like kindling a fire. Light up a twig and uh, you can burn down a, an entire forest with it. And when that happens, everything becomes deeply significant and salient. So normally when I look at this, you know, if I look at a pinup or I look at a lion, I get aroused. But I look at this, I don't get aroused by a bottle of water. But these people, because of the kindling, everything and anything they look at is deeply significant. And they see infinity in a, in a grain of sand or whatever. And they see everything they look at is deeply profound and deeply significant. And this is akin to many, what many religious mystics talk about seeing deep significance in all, everything in the cosmos. Man, I love the way he rolls his R's. Seizures are basically the neurons in the brain firing uncontrollably. It's pretty much a war between two types of neurons. Ones that downregulate or inhibit the electrical activity, and ones that upregulate or uh, excite electrical activity. In the brain, these two groups are constantly fighting, and when the excitatory side wins, you get a seizure. A lot of us have had that deja vu experience. There is some research out there that even suggests that deja vu is actually a small seizure within your temporal lobe, close to the area where memories are stored. This excitation um, causes you to experience intense familiarity within your surroundings, hence giving you that, hey, I've already seen this feeling. Switch, APOC. What is it? A deja vu is usually a glitch in the matrix. It happens when they change something. When people think of seizures, they usually think of people shaking uncontrollably or foaming at the mouth. But there are several types of seizures out there. One type is called focal seizures. These seizures are limited to a specific part of the brain, hence being called focal, right? You can either be conscious or unconscious for this type. 
Then there's generalized seizures. This type of seizure can be widespread in either side of the two uh, hemispheres. Now there are several types of generalized seizures themselves, but most people are familiar with the type called tonic-clonic seizures or convulsive seizures. Oh my god! Oh my god! Help my son's coding! They said he was stable! Barry! Oh my god! Okay, I need the room! Let's go! I need the room! How can he be seizing? He has no heart rhythm! Starting compressions. Hey, Mark! I need some help with you. Tune get in here and give me some out of it. The TV shows and movies make it pretty dramatic with the sound effects and music, don't they? I don't know, he just started seizing. Hold him still! Alright, so I'm on, so I'm on 15 liters of O2, get a line going, and then I need... Total chaos. Guess they want to seize the moment. Finger stick of glucose. Could you tell us what kind of treatments there are um, for somebody with epilepsy? So, you know, first uh, bird's eye view is, you know, you have um, surgical treatment and then you have non-surgical. That's Ali Heder again. Uh, we try to see what we can do non-surgically first. See, there's a variety of medications um, that can be used and they all kind of fall under the category of AEDs, anti-epileptic drugs. Um, and, you know, they have a variety of different mechanisms. Their effectiveness can depend really person to person. Uh, it's not really an exact science right now. Um, and that's something that, you know, when you go see that neurologist uh, who typically also has extra training in epilepsy, they're called epileptologists. They kind of are, you know, the experts in trying to figure out what treatment is best for you. Um, then there's also something that can be done surgically. Yeah, so let's say let's say a person um, is diagnosed with uh, a seizure or epilepsy, and they've they've been given certain medications, and the medications aren't working. So they come to you, or you know, they come to sick kids, or they come to Mount Sinai Hospital, and they say, "Okay, I'm a candidate for surgery." So how would you go about curing that patient with surgery? What kind of things are involved when it comes to surgery uh, or neurosurgery, to be more exact? Uh, well, first is, you know, we have to um, kind of get uh, sequentially to the point where surgery is required. You know, kind of as you uh, alluded to earlier, you know, you have to be on a number of uh, anti-epileptic medication regimens and you have to have, quote, failed them, as in they haven't really helped. Again, that sort of team-based approach where the epileptologist, neurosurgeon, you know, physicists, uh, etc., all can come together and discuss, you know, do we think that we need to go to surgery? And then there's some more... Uh, invasive diagnostic testing done. Nowadays in the modern era, uh, there's uh, the use of uh, special electrodes that can be implanted not only on the surface of the brain, but deep inside the brain. has uh, really been an area of uh, particular interest for neurosurgeons um, because that can really help us pinpoint the exact cause uh, of the seizures in the brain. And these electrodes can actually have uh, an outside uh, monitor, right? That they, mm -hmm. can, they can warn a person 
hey, a seizure's about to happen, you know, be ready. They, they, you can think of them like uh, kind of just more invasive monitoring. So kind of like how, you know, an EKG or, um, you know, when you monitor your heart rate, you know, you see it go up and down, depending on what you're doing. When you place those electrodes in these different kinds, there's a subdural grids, uh, which are kind of more placed on the surface of the brain cortex. Um, and then, you know, you can have uh, depth electrodes, which you can place uh, deep into uh, the st- structures deeper into the brain. Then you, have, you know, attach them to, uh, they're attached to a specific device and a monitor that allows you to monitor the uh, brain uh, neural activity, you know, as you sequentially go through different parts um, of the brain that we think seizures coming from, we can pinpoint to, you know, a very, very high specificity of where that seizure area is. The human brain. The brain, a pulpy mass of cells and fibers, is the center of the network of fibers that make up man's nervous system. Outwardly, the cerebrum is a pulpy gray mass with deep folds and convolutions. In cross-section, it is shown to have a thin outer layer of gray matter. This is called the cortex. available that can actually uh, deliver medication to that specific spot in the brain or is it just an electrode that's implanted and that just basically measures the seizure activity right so right now um, that modality is typically being used just to kind of measure seizure activity and that's because it's kind of like a part of a bigger approach where you know nowadays a lot of neurosurgeons um, are trying to figure out how to pair that you know, those electrodes to monitor and then kind of tie that in with a very focused surgical treatment um, to resect or what's called take out the kind of diseased area of brain causing the seizure activity. Typically, the conventional surgical um, approaches to taking out regions of the brain uh, that cause seizures are um, very dangerous. There's procedures called temporal lobe resections or uh, lobectomies where you take out specific kind of major parts of the brain that can be very dangerous. Each half of the cerebrum is divided into four lobes. These are the frontal, parietal, temporal, and occipital lobes. There's even procedures called uh, hemispherectomies or hemispherotomies where you, you know, take out... The entire uh, hemisphere. Right, right, one kind of half of the brain. Right. Um, that actually has been shown to be effective in, um, you know, helping stop the seizures. Um, however, those are very, very complex and dangerous neurosurgical procedures. Those typically take, you know, a neurosurgeon all day. That surgery can easily take 10 to 12 hours. And then you also have something called a corpus callosotomy, where you basically kind of disconnect the two hemispheres of the brain. That has been shown to be a good palliative procedure, you know, in terms of kind of mitigating the symptoms. It hasn't really been shown to be curative. Something that I've uh, helped with is uh, the group of uh, pediatric neurosurgeons in Texas at Dell Children's Medical Center in Austin. We've uh, pioneered the use of uh, called uh, laser ablation for treating epilepsy in children. Uh, we actually have done the largest number of cases in the world on using that technology. 
and our results have been shown to be very effective and safe. And we presented this work at a major neurosurgical meeting recently and it was received very well. we have done is um, really Dr. Lee, he developed this technique to insert those depth electrodes, figure out exactly where, you know, the source of seizure activity is coming from in the brain. Then using the same device, uh, he would immediately be able to insert uh, the laser probe and ablate. We use focused heat to treat that diseased area and, you know, that has turned out to be a very effective treatment modality. All the patients, they've uh, been doing great so far. Uh, most of them are seizure-free. We're very hopeful that technologies like that, you know, are minimally invasive, effective, and, you know, are something that can be applied to children and adults who have seizures, play a very major role in kind of advancing the treatment for these patients. definitely a very good idea for you know someone who is having seizures and who think has epilepsy or something causing those seizures to really get that checked out by a medical professional physician who's going through the training to you know really evaluate that because you know they could potentially really give you a full life you know especially if found relatively in an early stage and it's something that perhaps you might not only appreciate but your family and your friends would also. I wanted to thank Ali Heather for being a guest for this podcast. Also, thank you to bensounds.com and freesound.org for letting me use uh, their website for sound effects and music. Also, thank you to Dr. V.S. Ramachandran for that lecture. You can watch the entire lecture on YouTube. Finally, guys, uh, as you know, I love making these podcasts for you, and I hope you love listening to them. So because of that, I have started a Patreon page where anyone can go and donate a few dollars per month. Uh, if you're interested, please go to www.patreon.com forward slash mshell. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash m-s-h-a-i-l. And finally, please subscribe and like us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast from. Write a review. It really helps spread the word. The music that I use for this podcast in order is Henry Purcell, King Arthur, What Power Art Thou? Nino Contone, Caprici for solo violin, Pizzicato. Igor Stravinsky, The Rite of Spring. Sergei Rachmaninov, Ave Maria. Parov Stellar, Booty Swing. And the one currently playing is All Fine Orchestra, Bittersweet Symphony, Instrumental Version. And with that, I want to thank you all for listening. I hope to see you on our next podcast. <laughs> <laughs>